Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and thank you for being with us again today. At this hour, the bubbly may be flowing in the Hamptons this summer, but the property market is flat. In the second quarter this year, sales in the Hamptons slumped 12.8%. According to Douglas Elliman's latest market report, it marked the first year-over-year decline since 2016. Also at this hour, with many college students recently graduating, so many are actively searching for an affordable place to live in New York City. The good news for college graduates is that the city is home to plenty of employment opportunities. On the other hand, the availability of affordable housing is not so abundant as rent has increased by nearly 4% each year. We will talk about that and discuss it with the panel. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. In the news last week, Airbnb Inc. was dealt one of its biggest blows in the company's 10-year history. New York City Council members voted to require the home rental company to hand over the names and addresses of its hosts in the city. The officials said they need the information to police Airbnb hosts that operate illegally and drive up neighborhood rents. Airbnb has said the bill represents an unreasonable violation of users' privacy. The new legislation would dramatically cut Airbnb's New York City bookings as the city promises to use the data to lead a sweeping crackdown on short-term home rentals. Airbnb takes about 15% of the revenue from these bookings, or what users pay to rent homes and apartments on the platform. Airbnb and its host are on track to generate about $140 million in gross bookings this year in New York City, and people uh, familiar with the matter say this is uh, out of control. That number is expected to drop by at least half when the new legislation goes into effect in January, uh, said the people who asked not to be identified because the financial details are private. In other news, the bubbly may be flowing in the Hamptons this summer, but the property market is flat. In the second quarter this year, sales in the Hamptons slumped 12.8%, again, according to Douglas Elliman's latest market report. It marked the first year-over-year decline since 2016, but with 601 sales, the total number remains above average, said Jonathan Miller, CEO of appraisal firm Miller Samuel and the author of that report. It is a bit, the, it is a large drop, but we were running at elevated sales levels last year. We did see a resort of sorts, a reset of sorts in sales. At the same time, the median sale price fell 5.3% uh, versus a year earlier for the first time in six quarters. Real estate listing site Zumper has uh, released its uh, latest report on rent prices in New York, and to no one's surprise, the city is once again the second most expensive place to rent an apartment in the country. San Francisco, of course, remains in first place. The good news is that the rents for one and two bedrooms are actually down 3 to 4% year over year in the city, which tracks with other market reports, but that doesn't mean prices are by any means cheap. The median rent for a one-bedroom in New York still hovers over $28.60 per month, while two bedrooms saw a slight increase 0.6% to $32.20 per month. Zumper found that Tribeca, Chelsea, and the West Village are the most expensive rents in Manhattan, and in Brooklyn, Dumbo, and Vinegar Hill continue to reign as the priciest neighborhoods. Uh, For the first time in a decade, Chinese insurers, conglomerates, and other investors have become net sellers of U.S. commercial real estate following Beijing's tightening of capital controls. 
Chinese investors sold $1.29 billion worth of U.S. commercial real estate in the second quarter while purchasing only $126.2 million, this according to the Wall Street Journal. The pullback could slow down growth in the U.S. real estate market. The report said though Chinese investors were only a fraction of the buyer pool, their steep purchase prices often garnered attention and helped drive up values. After raising, uh, after and after rising in the years following the financial crisis, those values have become stagnant over the last 18 months. Uh, interesting news to report this morning, but I first want to talk about the Airbnb situation. So, I mean, what Phil is here. So, what what is what are your thoughts on this Airbnb situation here in New York? Now, as I, you know, we've talked about this many times before on this program around the country, around the world. I think Airbnb is incredible. It works. It's perfect. <clears throat> Uh, but here in New York City, it seems to be taking money away from landlords and other homeowners in ways that uh, everybody's up in arms about. So where, I mean, where do we fall with that right now as brokers in the city? How do we feel about that? Um, what I'm the most frustrated about, well, first of all, I agree. I've used Airbnb. I think, generally speaking, it's a brilliant idea. It works in many, many cities, many, many places, especially vacation spots. My biggest problem with it is that it completely ignores the lease between the landlord and the tenant. That to me is, is is the biggest problem. And so, you know, they hide behind quote unquote privacy issues, which is why they don't say publicly display any of the addresses. But the truth is if they publicly displayed the addresses, most of the listings in the city would just come off the site immediately and most people wouldn't post because they're not they're doing it behind the landlord's back. So to me, as a or the co-op, or the co-op, or the condo. So to me, as a broker, knowing what the rules are, knowing that people shouldn't be doing this, knowing what the how the landlord feels about it, knowing that these buildings don't want to have random people come in every night. I know it's a it's a huge problem, and it it should be cracked down on. I'm not sure if this is the best way to do it. I don't know. I mean. Well, usually disclosure, the disclosure yeah, is absolutely. the first way to start, right? You you, you start posting names, you start posting it's even information. Yeah. Privacy yeah. So that's that's the only problem. Is well, like, I'm not sure it's the best way to do it, mm, but it it, well, it is a problem. That well, has on to the be other it. side of that, I will say that <clears throat> somebody who represents a landlord who owns eight thousand apartments, who has you know seen everything, and people who were paying you know eleven hundred dollars and crying poor for their two bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side on eighty fourth and West End, is Airbnb. You know, to the tune of seven to eight to ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah, right. And <clears throat> so I will say that I have been able to investigate, and that has been turned in, and they are they're being evicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that case you totally deserve it. But there's a lot of people paying thirty five hundred dollars a month. You need to go away for work for a. For a month. Absolutely. <clears throat> Them making five thousand dollars off the. I don't see the crime in it. I mean. I know technically it, it can hurt our landlords and our neighbors, but there's not really a lot of stories coming out about how badly this is affecting the city. Well, it's a lot of, I think there's a lot of hype and it's kind of just like fear mongering. On the I think a lot of, of the problem is when you start talking about co-ops and condos, because technically it is illegal in New York City. Okay. So, and then you can get around the rules. I mean, the townhouses and private homes and stuff, fine. Mm-hmm. But when you start talking about townhouses, I'm mean, sorry, condos and, and co-ops where people, especially in a co-op where people think they can actually get away with this, it's quite amazing. And somebody said to me the other day, showing co-ops and she turned around and she said, oh, this is going to be a great Airbnb situation. And I looked at her like, 
Uh, no, it is not. Yeah, not going to work. Right. You know, not going to work. You, you can take a look at what, you know, Airbnb has completely altered the rental market in in the Hamptons for somebody that has two investment pieces of property there. And, you know, when people, I go ahead, go. people no longer, I mean, there are, there's a huge population of individuals that used to rent for the whole season or mm-hmm. July and August. And they're now taking two weeks in July and two weeks in August. And it is And why crippled. is that? Because they can make because more money. Because they can. And they yeah, can go somewhere can. else. But they're making more money for a two-week stay or a three-week no, no, stay. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the landlord. I'm talking about the individuals coming to enjoy the Hamptons. They do not have to take the two-month two minimum. Right. Yeah, hundred and fifty. Right. They can do a week here, right. a week there. Do, well, but that's because Airbnb increased the liquidity. I mean, so that that's like, to me is a positive thing. I, I, just I'm from that just perspective, stating yeah. a very yeah. defined. But Louise, let me ask you something impact. because the, you're you're correct. But you know, through the years, a lot of people have complained. And believe me, I do not support Airbnb. But a lot of people complained about the Hamptons in particular because there was always these, you know, two night stays or you know two month stays or one because there is not a lot of hotel or or motel situations out there. So if you right. wanted to go to the Hamptons for a weekend, it was not that e- that hard, that easy to do you unless you knew somebody. Three minimums, etc. Correct. Yeah. So Airbnb sort of made that better for them. However, I do agree with you that it is becoming more and more of a problem. And I wanted to talk about the Hamptons next. So the, the market is flat or getting flatter. Uh, is this one of the reasons why? Or well, I mean, overall rental market is down out yes, there? Yes, absolutely. People would go and purchase. I mean, my, I myself, you know, I had four nickels and a quarter when I bought my first house. And I, you know, had a model that I had to rent it for the month of July every year since I've owned it. I've owned it since whenever that dot-com thing happened, <laughs> 2000. Oh, and, wow, yeah. And so, you know, so ultimately… He's not that old, right? <laughs> Can't yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm blushing. So ultimately, that model worked for me, but people now want to come and buy with that investment model, and it doesn't work because they're not guarantees. I I literally, you know, I did a year-round rental for $50,000 less than what I get for the season. Wow. It is what it is. But, but does, there's more options now. Exactly. I mean, we've had a house up in Columbia County for 15 years, and that has just turned into, okay, we can take our kids and family in an hour and 45 minutes as opposed to sitting in traffic on the LIE for three hours and flipping out. Yeah. So there's more options I get it. now. Absolutely. I'm not arguing. I'm just stating right. the fact. And luckily, my cost basis is great and, you know, it is what it is. But I've had to be nimble. Do you in use how I Airbnb? Are you, I have used it and so had excellent experience. Excellent experience. So excellent. do you get so your model was looking for just to get July every year. Can mm-hmm. you get more now that you have the Airbnb? No. You don't get more no. weeks. You and just it's get no guarantees general. because everybody at Airbnb is now negotiating. Mm. So it's not you negotiating know. on Airbnb. Absolutely. Really. Interesting. Along with everybody in the regular marketplace negotiating, isn't that something? Why? So, so question That's to all of you: Why do they think? Why do people think renters think who use Airbnb because that there is price flexibility? There's a lot of people that did the investment model right. today that I did in 2000, and they're hurting, right. and they and need, of course, they, so they it's see not that. selling. It's a flat market. Mm. You know, sure. and and listen, it's opportunistic. Um, mm. The deals that are getting done there. You know, I, I have a listing in uh, in Southampton, and I don't do a lot of business out there, but this is a specific circumstance. And, you know, we're 2.1 million, and it's one house from the water, 
And I had offers at like a million six, a million seven. I mean, and the listing great. price is what? Two one, and it's priced mm. really well. Wow, it's priced really well. Great. So. Wow. Y'all call me if y'all want a house in Southampton. I was going to say that. I mean, that's not a bad price to be on the water. I mean, I'm not. It's not on the water, but it's a really great but, piece of property. Right. All right. So, what no. about the rest of the sales Close market enough. out there? I mean, what 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 do we look like? You know, today Montauk is on fire. Montauk is finally. I'm thank glad God. to know that I'm a. Uh, I beat that curb. Well, you're right. How long? Displaying girl. How long ago did you buy that place in Montauk? Because that 2013. is Oh, is that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a trailer girl. Quickly before we go to break, why? <laughs> no, you're not. I think that's sort why, of hot, why, why, <laughs> why, why has Montauk taken off the way it's taken off? I, I mean, you Listen, know, for years I spent out in East Hampton and nobody wanted to even talk about right. Montauk. It is a breath of fresh air. I agree. There is a vibe there that is laid back. That it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you got, because the people that have a lot. Want to want to go under the radar, yep. and it's really refreshing. Right. You know, I think uh, I think it's Instagram. Honestly, truth be told, I think that Maybe. competitive vacationing, which is now the new thing, where we <laughs> you see everybody. I love Mykonos, you. Ibiza, <laughs> Montauk. Yeah, right. You that's all you see on Tulum. It is. It is true. And yeah, I think that up. when you have surf lodge. You have people going out I there. I think I started the Tulum craze too many you years ago. Yeah, yeah. everybody said, "Oh, Tulum," and Tulum. now I won't even you go did. there anymore. Rocco's Tulum. I started the craze, yeah. and I'm so sorry I did that. Anyway, yeah. we got to leave it there. Take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. And we are here with Phil Horrigan from Freely and LeaseBreak.com, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Real Estate, Sean McPeak from Halstead Real Estate, Jordan Shea, Douglas Elliman, Paul Zwieben, Douglas Elliman, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. Just a bit on Paul guesting with us today. He's one of the top brokers at Douglas Elliman, and he's ranked number three on the West Side. Paul is widely known among his colleagues, customers, and friends for his humor, really. Uh, no-nonsense negotiation skills and his excellent recipes, of course, and cooking videos on his blog, Hungry Domain, in which Paul writes extensively about his two favorite topics, real estate and food, and I do look at that regularly. Thank you. So welcome today, Paul. <laughs> you got a nice plug, dude. I like that. Anyway, so let's talk about co-ops and condos. So what is a special assessment? People ask me on a regular basis when they're looking at you know listings, they come to see your property that you have marketed, uh, that you're marketing rather, and they see the maintenance or, the, or the, the common charges are X, but yet then there's a special assessment. A lot of people understand what that is. Most people do not, and you try to explain it. And the problem with sometimes with these special assessments is there is not a defined end date, and that's what kind of freaks people out. So let's explain to the listeners out there what exactly is a special assessment in either a condo or a co-op. A special assessment is typically structured as a temporary interim uh, surcharge that could be anything from a oil tax to capital improvements for the roof and the point work and a number of programs. And I have worked uh, with a lot of different co-ops, actually two condos, but most of them are are co-ops, advising them to put an end date and then revise it at the budget. Correct. Because that that uncertainty is, and that's the truth for the moment, you mm-hmm. know, look, you can figure out if you've got $2 million worth of work to do and you're only going to raise a 535 that you're going to have to have it for three years. Right. I mean, there's not short of installing something else like a flip tax. Let's talk about the other side. So, and I've been, I've, I've been a co-op owner several times where, uh, you know, special assessments have had to be. Uh, or take place. So, how do how do people who live in these these buildings, co-ops or condos, feel about special assessments? Can they turn it down, saying I'm not getting involved, or that I have part to? of your cost basis? I mean, it, listen, you're improving brick and mortar. I mean, that's that's what you bought. So, I, I well, think. Uh, it, yeah, sorry. It, uh, I was going to say. I think you're asking. Are you asking more about like? The, who decides to have the assessment? Well, the board decides, obviously. And if you're not a board member, you can take offense to it and say, listen, I don't, we don't need new windows or we don't need new whatever. So, therefore, I don't really want to support a special assessment. But so, I, think I, I don't I, want to pay. My understanding is that you know you elect the board and then you elect them to make these decisions. Most of these assessments are not voted on uh, by Correct. the entire – all the shareholders. No. The board has a lot of power when it comes to assessing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, look, the truth is they're going to be a little careful because they have to live with the people in the building. So you, well, you, they also pay you know, it, too. It's and not they, like they're and they pay it from too. it. Right. right. But, I mean, in terms of, like, them just doing things that benefit them, for example. Like, you know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's uh, something that's hard to turn down. But, again, there's always the next year of elections. And if, if you don't uh, – if you don't want to – if if, if you're not happy with the assessment, you could always elect yeah, a new I mean, board. they're your elected official. It's the same right. thing as a government issue. Right. I mean, but I mean, but with that parallel, I think the real issue is a lack of proper budgeting for things because you don't need a special assessment if you're accurately budgeting for things that you can't expect for. And yeah. setting aside money and having a higher average maintenance overall, and then people aren't hit with the sticker shock. 
Sometimes you do a but, special assessment to pad the reserve too. But I, I, well, I, I well, personally right. think that yeah. you know you have you can do all the planning in the world. And when I was on right. my board, we put together a ten-year game plan for capital improvements, and we implemented a flip tax. We um, implemented um, assessments when needed, and I personally feel that having assessments that goes into individuals' cost basis is better than overcharging on your maintenance because cost of living is going up no matter what. And, and I, I agree with Wheezy um, on that. As, an, as a co-op owner, and I used to be on my board for years, I'd, ra- I'd rather have the special assessment, like you said, so then it's just done. If it gets rolled into the maintenance, then it's your Isn't maintenance a special assessment better yeah. for your tax, uh, tax at the end of the year? You, you get you more right up. into your cost basis. So if I paid a million dollars for my apartment and over the 10 years I lived there, there were $10,000 worth of assessments, then I my cost basis is $1,010,000. Hmm. And so when I sell it for $2 million, then I'm only paying taxes on... I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know you did yeah. that. Louise, just quickly... You should quickly, track all that. Wow. Just quickly for the audience who doesn't know, you mentioned flip tax. What is a flip tax in a condo? A, flip in a tax, co-op? you know, um, it was it was established in the 1970s when, when New York was literally for sale because it was falling apart and people would be buying property and flip it. And so buildings started to convert at that time and um, they were they really had no intention to live there. So the name has got a bad rap, but you know, the posture that I take when I'm talking about a flip tax is that it's a source of income. I'm buying something from nineteen twenty six. It is not gonna be perfect for the right. rest of time. Right. So having a source of income and I also advise boards to not have it lay between one person or the other, not the seller, not the buyer. Mm. It is a source that should be negotiated for every transaction that is market driven. I mean, even if it is for the seller or for the buyer, do you have you negotiated it? Because either regardless of what well, it is, I always leave that as a negotiation. Technically, yes. if a, if I mean, for example, when you get a board package and it says you know cost to Paid, close. Yeah. Paid by seller, yeah. very hard to negotiate that. Right. Well, you can in terms of like because it purchase then pro- like feels price, like I'm always, misleading them. I so I say to boards, look, just state it as a requirement <clears throat> to be determined. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the truth is they can't enforce a buyer; they can only enforce the shareholder. Mm-hmm. That's understood in the proprietary lease. Got it. That's very true. So moving on, you want to move, but you own an apartment that could use a refresh. And most of us here have been involved in refreshes for sure, renovations. But it is out. You have an outdated kitchen and bath. However, you don't have enough money saved for both the renovation and a down payment. You decide to sell the property as is. So you you can't really renovate where you currently are because you need the down payment money to move to someplace else. You decide to sell the property as is. Two words in this business that can be uh, very problematic. And let the next buyer worry about fixing things up. But as is, apartments can be difficult to unload. And the longer one stays on the market, the more you need to lower the asking price. And you don't want to take a bath on the sale. So, you know, a lot of questions on that. How do you present your property in its best light when you're selling as is? Can't afford to renovate. Can't even afford to really kind of re- like really refresh. So you're, you're putting it out there the way you're living in it. Other than decluttering maybe and, 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 I mean, and staging, it- what do you do? I've been, uh, yeah. actually, I've, I used to be very against this, but I've been doing uh, virtual staging recently, and that has definitely helped um, immensely. Thanks to Halstead. And, and the, 
Thanks, Halstead. And the quality of I the virtual right staging now. has in, it has gotten so much better in the last three years. I well, mean, uh, to me, it was like unusable a couple years ago. Now I'm using. Sean, it all is that time. only when the apartment's empty, or can you now do it even when there's furniture piece already? Meal. You can do it for even like yes. select pieces. Like yeah. I did a refresh you where can add pieces of furniture. Where yeah, I changed the nice. wall colors. Yeah, and the wall I removed the carpet and put in wood floors. Uh, that's cool. That's all I had so, to do. Yeah, so just let, disclose let it. Just as long as, as long as you disclose yeah. it and it's say disclosed. it's virtually, you know, yeah. updated or whatever. Yeah. That's I've done the same thing. So, it's perfectly uh, legit. For someone who stages literally forty apartments a year, I mean, brick and mortar furnish. Um, I feel that it's always the same thing. It's going to be pricing, presentation, and preparation, and. Those things are what owners need to do, no matter what the condition is. Because I, I'm pretty meticulous, but I have piles of road to hell is paved with good intentions to do's. And I think that when we all get comfortable in our home, you have to prep that. And I will say that in today's environment, as interest rates are looming, those smaller apartments that are quote unquote cheaper Cash to renovate is is a challenge. So the elongated portion of that sales cycle is still going to be in 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 this challenge. particular market. Okay, because sometimes you know in, in in different markets, different things apply. So in this particular market, are we selling property faster undone or redone? Oh, absolutely redone. But also you you know what what price you're going to capture in a B minus building. Because people aren't prepared to put big money in a B minus building, so they might get a better value. So those are elongated sales for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it really all depends. And, and so, you know, when you're looking at, you know, as is, I mean, I like Jordan's um, uh, scenario there because I've done the same thing, uh, even just simply changing wall colors. But, you know, the thing is sometimes when people walk in and I have something that's virtually staged now, a rental, and when people walk in, they, even though they see, hopefully, the term, you know, virtually staged, a lot of people walk in and say, well, the, the, this is not like the pictures on the internet. Everybody is so picture-oriented, good or bad yeah, or indifferent. The first thing they see, so they walk in with a certain expectation. I was showing apartments on Central Park West uh, last last weekend on Sunday, and same thing. It was like piecemeal. So I, I walked in. I th- I even expected. I didn't read the mm-hmm. entire description because sometimes I don't always do that. But I looked at it. I was like, whoa. This is mm-hmm. not it. And then mm-hmm. I look at the pictures again. I'm like, oh, okay. So they, they made this little media room into a dining area. Okay. So I figured yeah, it out. But so it, it gives you a good idea of what it could be, I guess. Yeah. And there's two parts of marketing as far as how an apartment looks. One is how it looks online. And then the second piece is how it looks in person. And they're both important. So I like virtual staging, but you do have to be careful about yeah. not just the difference in expectation compared to virtual staging versus what it looks like, but just the absolute like value or the absolute sort of like how it looks (laughs) forget about how it compares but just how it looks when you walk in and you mentioned decluttering which maybe is an obvious thing but also removing pieces is huge well absolutely and how an apartment lives right how many times how many times you've been in an apartment where you're like if you could just remove this couch and this piece and this huge table and make it a smaller table it's like a game changer in terms of how it looks completely but you have owners that are that are restricted by their budget or that storage in the building no storage in the building yeah move the purple right. toilet and change it right yeah, yeah. Right. listen we, we, we've done that before uh, you know um, we <laughs> seriously I know I know purple toilet really? yeah. covers black I'm sorry black toilets which are oh. you know at one point were stylish don't tell anyone uh, that's a very black 70s toilets. thing I had You're that in the house kitchen yeah. 33 Riverside Drive 
I'll never forget it. Oh my he god! Brought me in, yeah. And he was like, "Well, that was is, we that... just redid the bathrooms." And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> these are gorgeous." <laughs> yeah. Black toilets, purple tile. It just was just a uh, well. Thank you. Walk into some <laughs> of these old buildings, and, 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 and you get the pink tiles, yeah. right, or the or the the, right. the the lime green tiles of the of the day, but. You know, um, uh, decluttering is big. I had an apartment on Riverside Drive. I don't remember if it was 33 or one of the around there where they had two sets of living room furniture in the living room. And I just walked in and I said, okay, so, well, number one, all of that has to go. We emptied out half the apartment and it was a family with two kids. Well, we have to still live here. Well, I get it. But you also have to sell and you want your price. And it was in a good market. So it wasn't a Mm -hmm. challenging Mm -hmm. market. But you got to do what you got to do. Anyway, we have to take a break. You're live. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York. This is Good Morning New York. We'll continue on the other side of this break. Please don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're here with Phil Horrigan, Louise Phillips-Forbes, Sean McPeak, uh, Jordan Shea, Paul Zwieben, and Niall Lundgren. All right, so even the cheap apartments aren't selling in this wonderful market that we're in today. In Manhattan, units priced below $1 million are piling up. Inventory is increasing, according to a study by the real estate sites. All out there, inventory climbed 27% in June from a year earlier to the highest levels uh, for the month since 2013. This is what the websites have found. It's essentially a buyer's market across the board. I debate that. And the total number of available homes in Manhattan is at the highest for the month since 2011. In Brooklyn and Queens, total inventory for June was the most since 2008. Uh, In September, listings are expected to see another surge as sellers come off the summer slowdown. But uh, if some of the supply isn't cleared out before then, prices will fall, according to Bloomberg. So how do we feel about that? Do we really feel that for the rest of this summer, if we have a large inventory going into September, which used to be a very robust market, that prices are going to fall, that sellers are all of a sudden going to see the light and chop their prices? I don't think so. And I haven't found September to be my best market ever. Not at all. Not at all. I found it to be a market, an opportunity for people to be educated. They start in July and August, and then they power down. Through September, October, and then they know what they're, they they pull the trigger, November, December, and January. That's a cycle that we've been in for quite some time, mm. except 
let's exclude 16 and 17. 17 picked up, but correct. 16 but, was but, but as we've gone through this coma, as I call this, uh, this marketplace, the under $1 million apartments, though, the inventory there was pretty okay. And, and apartments were not flying off the market, but selling, especially if they was priced right. Who doesn't want to buy an apartment in New York City for under a million dollars? So that's kind of like, you know, not not even heard of. All of a sudden now, that inventory is uh, is adding to the other, and it's it's piling higher, and the and the 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 sales are stagnant. So you got a six hundred seven hundred thousand dollar one bedroom apartment. What's the deal? I think there has to be again. It always comes down to pricing, and you know, ma- us managing expectations. And when I do analysis, I don't step back to two thousand and twelve. I step back my and and look at from two thousand and ten to current our cycles and our trends Mm -hmm. for that particular apartment. And, you know, 15 was a hiccup. It's, it's not, was not sustainable. Yeah. And, um, and I think the confidence, I mean, we've had between four, 25 to 40 transactions north of 4 million every single week, except for two weeks, this past two weeks, which is not an, it's not unusual mm. for July to slow down that abruptly. Correct. <clears throat> they did 14 transactions this week and 14 transactions last week. But Some the, pers- of those are 50 but the and percentage jumped in June. Yeah. I just and feel the top end of the market is so much better than the low end of the market right now, which is bizarre. Well, well, well it that's because, because of interest rates? It's because it's adjusted, and people, guys. People live I, I in think the, the monthly salt deduction payments. has a lot to do with it. I think people looking at property taxes over ten thousand dollars. I've not are, heard are, one uh, person yeah, say that. I mean, I, uh, under a under, we're talking like under a million though. We're talking like one bedroom starter apartments. That I haven't heard. Yeah, but I think people who are under a million live in the monthly payment, and it's and if there's rising interest rates or word of rising interest rates, then they're going to get a little bit spooked. I and think they're that's not where I think happy. that's probably why that marketplace has stalled a little bit because of the rising. Uh, interest rate Potential. scenario, right, and and all of the other, you know, tax uh, deductions that may not be as helpful as they used to be. But you know, in, in talk, it, it, it's such a difficult market, and I've been in this game for a very long time, and I think I know how to talk to sellers. But you know, at the end of the day, when you have a seller who really you know, needs to get a certain price because no one really wants to sell for under what they paid. And I get that. And if they don't have a gun to their head, they shouldn't. And they should pull off the market and just sit it out and wait. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, but some people really can't afford. It depends on the price point. A lot of people cannot afford to sell for less than they paid. I mean, it's just common common knowledge. I mean, we would all freak out if you paid a million and now it's only worth eight hundred thousand. Psychologically, it's tough. Psychologically, yeah, it's hard. So if you don't have to sell, you don't have to upgrade well, tomorrow. Yeah. You're going to wait a little bit until the market changes. But on the flip side, there are people who have to sell. Or so, interest rates are going to change the buying power. Right. So, you know, what do these people do? Well, I was going to say, so I was just, I kind of whispered to Niall, one of the things in this kind of market, it depends what the seller is doing next. So are they, are they selling Correct. to upgrade? They need a bigger space. Mm-hmm. And if so, bingo. I, ha- I had a lot of discussions in another market just like this where I would convince people economically and financially to upgrade in this market. If you need it, they're like, I don't want to sell now because I'm going to lose money on my one bedroom. I go, yeah, but, but you're the two bedroom lo- is down 20%. Correct. Think about the deal you're getting on that two bedroom. And economically, it really doesn't matter. If you're staying in the game of re- real estate, especially if you're upgrading. I 100% agree. It's like an arbitrage deal. I mean, yeah. It's, it's basically, I've been advising yeah. some of my some of my people. You should get your resale on the market now, and then you're going to want to buy into another new development. You're going to have much more negotiating power. Right. So you you 
Uh, you're going to make a windfall, yeah. potentially. What's going on with new development, by the way, as you bring that up? I mean, how are the prices there? I mean, a lot have come down. There's a lot more negotiation happening these days than ever before. Um, what are we seeing in, in new developments? You know, a lot of developments changing hands. A lot. You mean second From, wife syndrome? You mean yeah. brokerage to brokerage? Yeah, I mean, that that's always been a situation when, you know, one brokerage can't sell the product, so they give it to somebody else. And it really comes down it's to my really opinion. Pricing. It's all pricing. It's not really the brokers if, or the brokerage right. house. If I the, mean, it's if, all pricing. If the developers are deal makers, mm-hmm. there's stuff that's selling. And mm-hmm. if the developers are holding tight, the stuff just sits. I mean, it's just, it's just like what Weezy yeah. said. It's all about, it's well, price. Well, well it's just about, like an individual seller because if they, if they you know, don't want to sell right. and get underwater. Right. So some of these developers paid so much money for the property mm-hmm. that the price per square foot has to be where it is or mm-hmm. they're going to lose the money. So it really depends on right. how much of a negotiator they are or how much of a deal maker they right. are. It's the cost basis. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's the cost per square foot and what they have to get out mm-hmm. and what they underwrote the property for and what their loans are for. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's really an economic issue more than anything else, uh, any other segment of the market on new development. Sometimes you can't, the developer cannot afford to sell for what the market rate is. Sometimes the lender is putting pressure on the developer to get it moving. Of course. Well, the lender can take over the property and right. kick the developer out. Right. And frankly, you have a lot of developers scared of that. And right. so then they make these knee-jerk, Hail Mary decisions, frankly, to change brokerage firms. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I understand that it is pricing, yada, yada, yada. It is the market, sure. But an infusion of positivity goes a long way to satiate that need for a head to roll with investors. If someone's head's got a roll in your developer, it's not going to be yours. It's going to be your development marketing team. Just the bottom line. Somebody's got to get Somebody's got to go, and Somebody's it's not gotta me. Somebody's got to pay the piper. It's going to be you. Right. It, that, that, that's classic, and that's the way it's always been. But, you know, I, and I've seen that, and I've been on both sides of that. And I, I agree with the positivity and then and, and the and, and, you know, fusion of, of more, you know, uh, gung-ho, whatever. But you know what? Again, as Louis said before, if that price is not right, who's to say the second group is going to do any better? I don't know. I, well, I've I taken that- over. I've been the second group and have, you know, struggled because prices are still not where they need to be. Maybe we have a better shot at convincing these developers, as I think we have in my particular case. You do, case, as the second or third wife. To reduce or the spouse, threat. rather. You uh, totally have. It's best to be the first they, son, they listen the second more. wife, and the third real estate broker. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, it, there it, you it, go. It, yep. But I've I've had people say, you know, I'm going to give it to a million dollar listing. They're going to do this. They're going to yeah. do this. And I was like, okay. Well, they lose too. I said, I mean, however. You know, you're going to trade at this number because that's the market. Right. And I had 87 people through the door and three offers at that level. Mm-hmm. That's where it's selling. Right. Absolutely. And that's where it's sold. Look, our greatest achievement, I think, when we're dealing with sellers or developers, whoever they are, is if we can get them on the same page as to where the price should be and what the market can bear, then we all have a winning situation mm-hmm. and the property sells, whether it's resale or new development. And we've right. all been on both sides of that, you know, good pricing and not. So moving on, rather than retreating from flood-prone Neighborhoods after Hurricane Sandy. Some developers are wading deeper into the waterfront markets, especially in Queens and Brooklyn, where they are finding large parcels of land close to mass transit, which is always important. These are calculated risks bolstered by years of flood zone price growth and unwavering demand. Whether these new apartment buildings can endure another major storm does not seem to be a concern for most residents who are glad to have a new option in inventory in an inventory-starved market. Well, I wouldn't say we're so starved at the moment. Critics, though, ask whether the neighborhoods can withstand the surge of new development and the stress it will add to an already strained infrastructure. So where will these new buildings remain 
you know, uh, will they rather uh, remain unscathed in a flood? And what about the damage caused by the torrents around them? I mean, look, floods are floods. We can have another mm-hmm. Hurricane Sandy tomorrow. So when new development goes uh, and builds right on the waterfront in either Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, wherever, what goes on? I mean, you know, you're in a flood zone. My personal opinion is that it's a a once-in-a-lifetime event, but who knows? Well, statistically speaking, that's not the case. But you got to remember also Manhattan is a 13.4-mile island Mm -hmm. that's 2.3 miles wide, and it has 578 miles of shoreline. So nobody's going to abandon that. You can look at Red Hook, and you can look when it was a maritime trade haven, and then how it was abandoned – and now what's happened to it? Now, one of the things that's happening in the trend of developments is they're doing these lifestyle projects where they are putting acres and acres and acres of parks, which will help. It's part of the wa- waterline vision mm-hmm. for 2020 that came out in 2011. And they should. And if just picking up on what you were just saying is if you look at the pier house in Brooklyn, so we sold a big apartment there, and you know the water is... 200 feet away from the apartment, but they built the park where even if there was a disaster, they're fine. So, you know, they're thinking about all these things ahead to prevent time. ahead of time. Exactly. So we if there's just a, slapping it together. Right. Like right. mechanicals don't go in the basement of a building anymore. Right. They go on the roof. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and not like to that. mention that there were $20 billion that New York City benefited from for infrastructure, for right. solely for infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Did we learn a lesson, the city, did we learn a lesson after Hurricane Sandy? Because I remember, you know, as we all do, that there was lots and lots of damage and building lobbies flooded up to the ceiling and you can't get in or out of the building. I mean, it was a disaster. I mean, you know, there's always going to be building along the waterfronts. It is what it is. In some spots where we're below sea level, whether you have a, in my opinion, whether you have a park or or a stone wall, you're still going to have floods because you're going to be way under sea level and Mm -hmm. a little bit of a surge is going to create damage so i mean have we really learned a lesson here i think you gotta i think you gotta ask your engineer to, to work on the problem i think you should have an elevated building in those places right. uh like long beach for instance is a market where they're requiring every single house to be put up on stilts and that's what people are doing correct right that's, that's so now, I mean, for somebody that spent six days in a row at in um in rockaway you know the stilts aren't going to help I mean, oh yeah <laughs> Truthfully, they're not. If that actually well, happens, well, it's, however, it's, you can repair it. It's, it's like your your water heater and your air conditioner and your you know your washer and dryer aren't going to be trash something, anymore. It's, it's something, something. It's not. It's not everything. And absolutely, but I do think that when you're looking at these very very large developments, they are going to change the terrain of that environment where in big lots of big development projects. Do you, I mean, think, do you think people at Hudson Yard is going to change that? Absolutely. Right. It, 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 just flood zone areas in the city in general, whether it's a new development or existing buildings and properties, do you think anybody out there buying really concerns themselves with flood zones? I mean, I have a building they uh, were, in I West mean, 47th They, they were for a while. Yeah. I, I mean, I lost, really. I lost three deals in FIDI during Sandy. Like, wow. Well, that, right. at that, well, at that me, point, yeah. 288 just, Greenwich and one at 20 West. But, that but, I understand, but, yeah. I, I will say that any waterfront property that I've sold, including in Montauk, if it survived Hurricane Sandy, right, they're good. not afraid. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Well, that, well, that makes sense because that was a devastation that no one expected. But I guess you're right. If that, Can we have a storm greater than that? Of course we can. Who knows? Anyway, we have to leave it there. Take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about college students and renting. Don't go away.
The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our fourth and final segment with Phil Horrigan, Louise Phillips Forbes, Sean McPeak, Jordan Shea, Paul Zwieben, and uh, Lundgren. So uh, at the top of the show, I mentioned college students. With many college students recently graduating So many are actively searching for an affordable place to live in New York City. The good news for recent college grads is that the city is home for plenty of employment opportunities. The employment is is great these days, economy booming. But in fact, recent data shows that the city's private sector adds nearly 100,000 new jobs each year. On the other hand, the availability of affordable housing is not so abundant as rent has increased by nearly 4% each year, even though the rental market is not as up as it used to be. As such, finding an apartment in the city that is a good fit for an entry-level salary is not a very easy task. To help recent graduates locate the best places to look for in affordable places in New York, researchers have determined the following top 10 New York City neighborhoods. So let's see how you guys agree. Morningside Heights, number one. Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, number two. Financial District, number three. Bushwick uh, in Brooklyn, four. 
Clinton Hill 5, Midtown South, Midtown West, Gramercy Park. That was an, uh, a strange one. Uh, Astoria and Gowanus in Brooklyn. Why, you know, I don't know if you guys work with first time or college renters. I don't, but I get you know what goes on out there. So are these the right neighborhoods for? This sounds like a clickbait type of article, like 10 best places. Because how do you define clickbait? Exactly. Well, clickbait. What are the researchers <laughs> researching? Right. Oh, right. When same. I say clickbait, meaning like they just won't get people to like click on this. You want me to tell you article. who the researcher is? Uh-oh. Do I? No, oh, no. I'm not going to say. Is it a name I am yes. railing against? Yes. Okay. Figures. Uh, so, I mean, I have theories on why these are the why these are the locations. How do you define more? best? I'm, no, I just, I don't know if they're the best, but well, the best, best, they're actually the best, moving the best meaning the most affordable. Yeah, or like financial district allows you to flex walls, for example. Right, right. So right a lot of people right. pile in. Bushwick's mm. just cheap yeah, and also Bushwick's, trendy. Yeah. Morningside Heights is near Columbia. Well, yeah. I was taking somebody out yesterday and she specifically asked to go to Morningside. And I said, sure. So I took her out to Morningside and then her mom gets involved. <laughs> and, and she realizes that quickly. for $300 more, she can be downtown in an area that has much more accessibility in terms right. of infrastructure and transportation. And she would be paying far more than that delta in transportation costs to mm. go all the way up to Morningside at 1 o'clock in the morning. She's not going to ride a train. Right. She's going to take a $40 ride. All right. So two questions Absolutely. for you. Two so questions, where is she two questions focused for you. on? Oh, we're going to take her to Friday. All right, so wait a minute. So, so why did she initially want to go to Morningside? Is it because she heard it was wonderful? She because she article. read the article. I mean, yeah. what, what, what? Well, for well for her, she has a lot of quote artist friends who live in Morningside. Okay, and she wanted to be in that vicinity. But the issue is that she doesn't realize people don't hang out in apartments; they just hang out at places. So she thinks right. that being in the same neighborhood actually matters, which it doesn't. And she'll learn that very quickly. She will learn that very quickly. And so, second question to you, Jordan, is the mother's constipation with Morningside Heights or whatever you want to call it. What, what, I mean, once we get mothers, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, cousins involved in real estate, it always goes and gets blown up. But what did the mother have a problem with in Morningside? Her argument Far away. Is, is a, her argument is exactly my argument and exactly what I just said, which was, yes, you're spending less per month on average. However... That doesn't actually take into account uh, extenuating circumstances and costs that you're not padding into that. Cabs, cars, Absolutely. everything like that. You're going to spend six, $700 in cabs or Ubers. And if you're very cost sensitive, it makes far more sense to go downtown. You know, the right way, even for buyers, when you're looking for an apartment to rent or to buy, typically you look where you work, where you play, where you need to be, where your kids may go to school, whatever. You try and pick that area. But in, in first time renter situations, I get that they can't necessarily afford that optimal you know neighborhood so they have to go to the fringes a little bit but in your example well said for 300 bucks more you're going to be downtown you're going to use that up in transportation anyway i don't care what you say exactly in a month or even more so it makes more sense to do uh, why downtown. It, why isn't like the Upper East Side on there? I mean, there are parts of the Upper East Side it that are still be. so well, it, affordable. It, 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 but Gramercy Park. I mean, Gramercy Park. Well, that's what Park, I mean. Really, like, it I doesn't make any sense. So that's why I don't understand how they decided. Because well, the Upper East, the Upper East side, side, though, you know, that Q line, Second Avenue train is really kind of bumping stuff up. Yeah, well, I got a Gramercy Park. Like, well, I live on the Q line, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they did not raise my rent yet again. On the Upper East Side? On the Upper East yeah. Side, and I live on the queue. That's and, interesting. That's and I, very and interesting. there's no reason for it's me. It's time to for you to buy, dude. No, not yet. We still have another 24 months of this market. I got plenty of time. Oh. Um, 
Wow. Lays it down right there. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge train evangelist as well. It's amazing. No, no, I, no, get, I only take one train everywhere. Yeah. Look, yeah. I've said this before on the show. I lived on the, I've lived the on the Upper East Side for years before I moved to the West Side. And the only reason I I'm left sorry. there is because there was no transport. I'm sorry. There was no <laughs> transportation. <laughs> I've been working on the Upper East Side. No, but I've been working on the Upper East Side now for one year, a little more than a year at the Claire. And I got to tell you something, because of that train system, I mean, we have a believer. It's really amazing. I could see. We got another one. We converted another one. Converted another. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And for me, that's going some. Trust me. (laughs) But, but, you know, why isn't the Upper East Side on here? I don't get it. Right. Right? right. Uh, I mean, Upper half West my college side, lives on Upper East Side, so I don't understand why uh, it's not on there. I don't and understand. We, why is Midtown well, South? They need I guess to subdivide the Upper East Side into cool, specifically named I, neighborhoods. I, I and if you do that, if you have uh, the Lex East 96 to 86 as a new neighborhood, and you have 86 to 76, everything west of Park Avenue is the Upper East Side, but everything east, it's up for grabs. Well, you know, years ago when I lived there, anything in the 80s and 90s, you know, west, I'm sorry, east of like 3rd Avenue was all college people, all oh, young yeah, people. Right. That's, yeah, right. most that's still what it is. It's, it's right? still that way. Yeah. It still is that way. Right. And well, like you said, your, your rent hasn't increased, even though the train is there, where mm-hmm. a lot of other rents have. So... Who knows how long it's going to take? I'm just concerned with, you know, when I see Gramercy Park in the same place as Bed-Stuy, Bushwick, Clinton Hill, Gowanus, I mean, Midtown but, South. But are they rolling Stuytown into Gramercy? Because you have Probably. to understand. Maybe some Murray Hill. That's really fringe, Murray. Yeah, I think but, that's but more Murray But it's fringe, but it'd be interesting to see how the neighborhood does. Yeah. Yeah. has Stuytown has its own neighborhood now on Street Easy Search. Yes, yes. Well, but I mean, they must be bumping it into Gramercy. That's a place I'd really like to live. Stuytown? Choking. Sorry. I lived there for a little while. It wasn't bad. Great I joke. Liked it. <laughs> Most energy efficient buildings in the city. Seriously? Yeah. And but, like, pretty gorgeous architecture. I mean, amazing like, gorgeous. architecture. One of the most That's what really catches your eye from that Parquet floors. Yes. I want some West Side. No. Look, I wouldn't want to live there either. But but we talked last week on the show. I don't remember who was here, but last week on the show, we talked about the Lower East Side and how the Lower East Side has really become beyond anyone's expectations. Crazy. Out of control from, I need to be there, I want to be there. The prices are higher. Mm-hmm. The new condo uh, bills down there are coming up all over the place. Yep. But yet, there's an audience. Of course, we, we talk about pricing, so that has to be adjusted and all. But we talk about people who want to be there. Everybody seems to want to yes. be there. So Listen, it I, is true. I, I built it 240 East 10th Street, and we sold those in 2000 for 400 bucks a foot. Okay. Wow. Okay. I've sold some of wow. those apartments seven times. Yeah, yeah, and the profitability over time has been great, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two thousand square foot East Village, almost three thousand when you're talking Soho. Well, we, you know, we we talk about the Upper East Side, and then you want to take the Lower East Side, which everybody used to say, ay, yeah, yeah, the Lower East Side." But no, the but price it's groovy, square foot, but it's also groovy now. Yeah, it's incredible. Some of the best restaurants are on the Lower East Side. If oh, you've been sure. to La Turtle, oh, oh my God, no Division mm-hmm. Street. Well, I, like, I haven't, but the it's restaurants are phenomenal. Down Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're out of time. That's it for me. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guests and panel, as always. Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in this world. Thank you, Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 